Business Matters in association with the ATU Donegal Faculty of Business. If you're looking to reinforce your leadership skills, ATU are offering Level 9 Executive Masters in Leadership and Innovation for private and public sector managers starting in January. Take the next step in your career and call 9186206 or email donald.hannigan at atu.ie. I'm Kira Donald. You're welcome to Business Matters. Our dip into the arcades for this replay edition features my conversation with Liam Casty in May 2022. Liam is known as the serial factory fixer, having turned around the fortunes of factories and supply chains all over the world. Now living in Newbridge, County Kildare, the Donegal native shared the secret to his success in his book Make Your Factory Great and Keep It That Way, which was published earlier this year. Liam, you're very welcome to Business Matters. Thanks, Kieran, and it's my pleasure to be here, and thanks to you and Highland Radio for, for having me on your show, or your podcast. You have recently published a book, Make Your Factory Great and Keep It That Way. Um, can you talk to me about why you decided to write a book at the stage of your life, Liam? Well, I've, apart from uh, when I left, dropped out of school at an early age, I went into the army, I lied about my age, I went into the army, I had a great time there, um, but I moved on and I ended up in London and I found my way into manufacturing almost by accident. And uh, I started off on the ground floor and because my military background opened a few doors for me because I learned very good habits when I was in the army. You learn about how to look after yourself, how to have a place for everything and everything in this place. Um, you learn about being accountable. You learn about being on time because if there's not, there's consequences. So um, after a few weeks on this ground level job in, 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 in this big factory in London, uh, they asked me to move, I move into uh, this um, management development area so I spent some time in there and uh, I, I ended up you know, to, to, to move things on a bit I ended up running a production line with 35 people on it uh, and I was barely 20 and that was the beginning of my life in manufacturing really and over the following years I grew to become a senior manager I moved on to GM uh, and in and Dunstable about 25 miles from London and then transferred down to London and uh, I spent uh, about Four year, five years with them and then they opened a factory in Dublin uh, GM and I moved back there so I grew to I, I, I worked in many departments and learned the trade that you like as, you, as, as I grew and I became a senior manager with them and um, I learned uh, about 20 years ago 25 years ago I got, got to the point in my life where I figured out that factories didn't have to close most times they were closing because of cost because of supply chain issues or because of industrial relations. I figured out that all of those were fixable. And uh, it's, it's a, you know, when you look around, at, when I was growing up, there was factories in Milford, there was a factory in Creasla one time, there was factories in Letterkenny, they all went. And I remember reading in the paper some years ago uh, of an entire intercert, this was before pre-junior cert, intercert class of, of, of young girls in Bancrana were recruited by Fruit of the Loom. And they were, you know, they employed, what, five, six thousand people in Donegal and Derry alone, and they all went. And I, 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 it was a tragedy, really, because, uh, you know, town, uh, if a factory, if a town has even one factory, it, it'll keep the town alive, and most certainly a village alive. And uh, so, uh, to me, um, I became good at what I did, in other words, and I, I turned around 
uh, I, I was recruited to, to uh, by Gillette and the, to the ORB plant from GM to make it world class, and I helped make it world class, and it's still there to this day. And then I was asked to go to. Uh, around 2000, early 2000, to go to Iowa City in the, in the Midwest uh, to prepare the largest toothbrush plant in the world for closure. They had fallen behind. Uh, they had their costs had were very high. They were the most expensive toothbrush plant in the world, within the Gillette world anyway. And I said I would go, but only if I could have a go at turning it around, because I'd been there already on a visit. Uh, I thought there was great potential there. And I'd learned about what world-class manufacturing. Now it's called lean, in other words. So lean manufacturing is really is putting the people at the very center of things at every level you invest in them you uh, you 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 give them career paths uh, you give them a voice in how the workplace should be designed and how we should operate and you hold them accountable. You hold people accountable at every level. And so within two years, we made the Iowa City factory the best factory, performing factory in the Gillette organization. How many people were employed at, in that plant? Then? There were 750 full-time people, and they had anything from 150 to 300 part-time uh, doing uh, work that subsequently I outsourced. And it was... Toothbrush manufacturing? Toothbrush manufacturing of all kinds. Uh, the skill levels were very high there. Uh, it was a 40-year-old plant already. They were very uh, All of the product development was taking place there. So there was great tool makers, uh, good technicians, good and great engineers, but they were badly led. There was, a, the, there was a leadership team that just wasn't engaged with the real issues. And this is something that I've found everywhere I go in the world, that leadership... Sorry, Liam, was that very uh, apparent to you when you arrived there? Yes. It was apparent on my first visit when I went there for a week or three days. Uh, there was a, a, a site leader that was uh, preparing for retirement back to Australia, and there was um, uh, there was a bunch of uh, senior managers who were very well paid, very well looked after, and, and who were working the sort of hours that you would expect an apprentice to work. So they just weren't committed to the real issues. They, were, they had very comfortable lifestyles, and... Uh, uh, so I, I I moved some of them out at the three levels of management and uh, brought in some people and promoted some people that I felt had the energy and the enthusiasm you know, to really go for the changes that were necessary. What sort of buy-in did you have from your approach? Uh, initially, uh, very little. Uh, but if you move uh, some of the big obstacles out the door, uh, other people get the message. Uh, I was uh, warned by a union official friend of mine in Dublin uh, that when I went there... It was a t the Teamsters Union, who were considered to be very traditional in the USA. And um, he told me to expect a lot of opposition because he would meet those people in these global forums that they go to to conquer the world or whatever. And uh, he said that they were very traditional in their thinking. So I met with the, I arranged with the HR director to meet with the union, with that area organizer for that area of the Midwest off-site. And we spent about half a day together. And it was, it was terrific, really, because I laid it out to him. I said, you know, uh, if you if you get in my way here uh, and oppose the changes that, that are necessary, I will guarantee you that we'll be announcing a closure within two years. So I said, I think we have a chance of salvaging 400, about 450 full-time people. I said, we'll be, but if we, if we can do that, that'll be a great plant and it'll be around for decades. So better, much better to have 450 members than none. And he, he, he listened to all the reasons. I showed him there was a huge file that hadn't been shared with the workforce. 
on, on, on the project to close it that had been around for two years. To me, that was incomprehensible. How could they not tell the workforce that they were heading towards a cliff edge? So, you know, some people have been there for, the, for, for 40 years. They've given their whole life to the place. So um, I told them very early in my second, third week there, but uh, the union official said, look, he says, I won't get in your way. He says, I can't guarantee that some individuals in the factory you know, might, uh, might uh, try to oppose things. He says, but they won't have my support. Uh, he was terrific. And, uh, you know, that, uh, that, um, so we just got on with the changes. So I remember the first day I met with the workforce and told them the news that you know, they were so badly thought of that their decision had been taken to close them. And they were in shock and they, didn't, they really didn't believe me. And, um, you know, I was told to be a bit careful around town because, you know, people can do things. Um, but um, I posted communications that had been around. I posted them on the walls. And gradually the message uh, began to sink in. And then when I started to move some of the senior people out, out the door, not to come back. Was that difficult? Uh, well, it's, uh, you know, if you put it to someone that uh, we can have a year of, of a very difficult year while I'll be sitting down with you every week. Uh, or the HR director is, uh, along with uh, our lawyer, is down the corridor and we'll, we'll get you the best packets that we can get you. Uh, they usually go for the latter. So, uh, you know, they were, they were gone. And uh, the workforces know which leaders are cutting it and which are not. And when, when you start to move the non-performers, the poor performers out, you know, that's, that's a good message. You know, that's, you know, maybe this person means business. You know, and then uh, I began, you, you, we began to develop development, developmental programs for them. They had never participated in team, you know, team bonding or, or, or any of the modern manufacturing practices in all those years that they'd been there. So we started to you know, present some people to, to help uh, you know, open up their minds to new ways of working new ways of thinking, working as teams, sharing tasks and so forth. And they responded to, you know, tremendously well to that. And uh, suddenly, you know, within six months, we had a real wave of enthusiasm uh, with great changes taking place. You know, I also read over uh, you know, a couple of consultants that had worked with me before. You know, a guy from London that had been with me for you know, about 20 years, 25 years, and a guy from Dublin who, who was really good at uh, you know, sussing out you know, who was going to make it and who wasn't. What was the most satisfying uh, aspect of, of that process for yourself? Um, well, just uh, seeing the results, you know, turn around and the people, the enthusiasm of, of the people, because you know, workforces are often locked into almost like prisons with invisible bars where they don't have a voice, where nobody listens to them. This is, I still to this day, this is the most common refrain that I get from workforces everywhere I go. You know, nobody listens to us. You know, we, we, we have ideas, but what's the point? And, um, so we give them a genuine, you know, you know the, the lean way um, gives people a genuine voice that is that is listened to and responded to. So you know, we we uh, for example, one of the things we did, um, uh, we asked uh, the workforce without the managers at any level, uh, in groups of fifteen to twenty, you know, what's working, what's not working, what should we do more of, and how do, what do we need to do to become world class. 
the best. And, you know, so they fill the walls with, with ideas, and then we voted on the top three with every session. And then we posted that on the wall. We, we made a huge schedule, and we put that around the factory with who was responsible for completing this task and by when. They had never seen anything like that before. So we were holding managers accountable to actually do what they're being paid to do. To, you know, to make life better for the workers producing the product, to solve the problems that were preventing them from getting on with things. So suddenly our productivity began to soar. We began to get some attention from headquarters. Uh, the, I arranged uh, for every person with clout to come from headquarters that I could convince to come. And uh, it's difficult to to change a decision. If somebody decides that, particularly in headquarters in a large organization, you know, this factory is going to be history, they move on very quickly. So it was a big job to get to convince the right people to look at this again. But I do remember three years in, uh, we had the, the, the head of uh, Braun Oral Care came over from Germany. He was the president and uh, announced that uh, we were the threat, the threat had lifted and that they were going to start investing some several million dollars again. That was a big day. So you mentioned uh, productivity. What about profit, Liam? Yeah, well, the, 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 well if, if your productivity is good, your profit is going to take care of itself. You know, and uh, uh, we, we became, I mean, one of the most satisfying things at the end, because we, we were being haunted by Mexico, who were going to get about uh, maybe half of the, of, the, of the volume from that factory had to be closed. And the, the, the plant manager down there was pulling all sorts of stunts to try to keep that alive and to, you know, when is this product coming to me? But in the final, my final budget four years in, um, I, 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 I made a presentation in the budget that for, for Iowa to take 70 million of his, of his, of his toothbrushes because we, we, we showed that we could make them, uh, and land them back in Mexico at the same cost that he was producing them. Now, uh, politically, that was never going to happen. But it was great satisfaction to show that we could compete with them. So we, we really wiped out the competition as a, as a, as a threat. And, and really, uh, Kieran, I mean, I've been doing that on sites ever since then, uh, both uh, in, in uh, sites later on with, uh, with the Tibet organization. Then we were required by Procter & Gamble in 2005, uh, the, so it became the biggest organization, uh, co- corporation of its kind in the world. And then I went to, uh, to after coming back and spelling, uh, having a spell in Ireland, uh, you know, and securing the plants there, uh, I moved to China to the to the Oral B Braun plant that was under some threat uh, there because in in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a giant merger with another huge organization the factories are it's inevitable that factories close uh, and so you know there was a concern that that factory was being scrutinized uh, and that uh, it may not uh, survive but within two years we made it one of the best plants in Asia and what was the size of the workforce there in- uh, we had uh, 1300. Uh, and, uh, you know, people often ask me about, you know, what was life like in China? What's it like to work there? I find it terrific. Uh, first of all, if you earn their trust, there, there are cultural differences. And the worst thing that, you know, someone from the West can do is go down there and expect everything to be like it is in Boston or in Dublin or in London. You know, you're in a different culture, you're in a different different continent. So you have to adapt to them, um, but still bring whatever your strengths you have with you. So when you earn their trust, 
they're they're just terrific to work with. They're, they're incredibly creative. Uh, at, on, on the face of it, they seem shy and, and quiet. They do things, they do business differently from us. You know, we tend to get around the table, hammer things out, you know, sometimes be a bit aggressive. They're not at all like that. They uh, work through channels away from the table. So if you expect them to come to a table and behave like uh, a bunch of Western managers, they're not going to do that. But give them the space and they will work quietly. Is that a better way to do business then? It works for them. Uh, and sometimes sometimes our egos in the West can take over at the table and become more important than the task in hand. You know, they, they, are, they tend to, it's a Confucius way of thinking, talk about the greater good. So the greater good is for you know, what's best in the overall sense. In the middle of that, there'll be some, not everyone's going to do as well as they should, but for the greater good. You know, I, I, you know, I give an example in the book about the, um, the, 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 the fast railway, the fast um, train system that, that, that they built uh, from Beijing to, to the airport in, in Shanghai and Pudong. It's, it's almost it's 1,350, I think, kilometers. And it was taking 12, 15 hours with you know, multiple changes sometimes for people to make that journey. Uh, and it was such a huge population, it was, it, was a, it was a mess. So they decided to build a direct uh, link that would bring the, the time down to about four hours. And uh, they sent a team around the world for two years to look at railway systems. They actually came to Ireland uh, and looked at old maps and things because I, I knew someone in, 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 in Ian Road Aaron who, 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 uh, who was around at that time. And then they went back and they, they came up with a plan. And the way they do it is, you know, in Shanghai for example, a huge city, uh, 23 million people back then, they came up with three routes, optimal routes through the city. And then they threw it out to the local parties to debate it, to uh, make a case for it shouldn't be here and it should be there, but it was one of those routes was, it was going to happen within a time frame. They get them six weeks, as I recall, because one of the, one of the ladies in our, in, in, that worked with us, she was in one of the impacted uh, routes. So you know, they were campaigning and doing petitions and stuff like that, but her route was chosen. And then they were given, so on the route, the, the route that was chosen, the people who were going to have to move were given a list of places they could move to. But they had it, and they could pick three of three, uh, one, two, and three. They wouldn't be guaranteed their first or second choice, but they'd be guaranteed one of them within the time frame. So the train, uh, the, the system was built on time, on schedule. I mean, I'm just thinking of our maternity hospital in Dublin that it's taken 25 years and it's, they're still fighting about it. And now the kids' hospital that's in the news at the moment, there's, that, is that, around for, that debate going on for five years or ten? That would never happen in China because the greater good prevails. Over here, everybody with a gripe can, can go to the courts and slow things down. Liam, I want to go back to something that you mentioned at the very start of our interview uh, when you maybe got your, your age a wee bit mixed up when you were applying for the army at that stage. Uh, you were born in Bunkrana and raised in Kilmacrenan. Can you talk to me a wee bit about that time and what was the next uh, sequence of events for you uh, going into the army and then going into management work in England? Yeah, you know, you know our roots, you know, our mother was uh, was born in Clanmany, uh, just outside the village. It's, it's a wonderful part of Donegal. Uh, we have cousins all over the place down there and I have a sister living down there and married down there and you know we visit there as often as we can uh, but uh, we moved to uh, Cotchen which is just a, a mile outside Kilmagrenan uh, up in the Cotchen Woods surrounded by uh, wonderful 
families, you know, who were all different, uh, but all great characters in their own way. And uh, music and alcohol and teetotalism was a was a big, all featured heavily in 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 those uh, with those uh, those neighbours. Uh, so um, the school wasn't great for me, uh, so I left early, and I was just very keen to get travelling and get uh, get abroad. So, what was the problem with school, Liam? Um, I just think that uh, I mean beatings were were just normal in those days, and you know we had a two room school. I, I wrote a book about that and uh, short stories a couple of years ago, and uh, some of the some of those stories featured in there. Uh, it was just tough, you know. Fear was uh, was the predominant factor for me. Uh, and uh, you, you know, and even when you're not, if you're not being beaten, somebody next to you is, and the entire room is traumatized by that. And uh, you know, teachers in those in that era got away with that. Uh, you know, when they should have been you know, sent to prison, really. So, uh, so I escaped from that and went into the army, which was a bit like another family. Uh, and you know, we we learned. Um, I learned some great things. I didn't realize it at the time, but when I moved on and as as I as I matured, I realized that some of those things I learned in the army, you know, I, I, they're still with me to this day, uh, and I made friends that I still have to this day. And I got abroad a couple of times, which back then in the in the in the in the sixties was you know, quite something to get to some of those exotic places. So, how did the change and career path come around? Well, um, myself and a friend were thinking of going to Australia. Uh, but we said we'd you know, go to London first. And there we'll take a break. Business Matters, in association with the ATU Donegal Faculty of Business. If you're looking to reinforce your leadership skills, ATU are offering Level 9 Executive Masters in Leadership and Innovation for private and public sector managers starting in January. Take the next step in your career and call 9186206 or email donald.hannigan at atu.ie. You're welcome back. Before the break, Liam was talking about leaving the army and his decision to relocate to London in search of a new career path. And then I found myself on the bus looking at this big sign, uh, walking interviews, and we said, well, we'll try that. And then we went and uh, we signed contracts to do something. I walked out and we both looked at each other and said, you know, what did we sign up for? And he hadn't a clue and I hadn't much of a clue. But then anyway, we were working the next, the following Monday, and uh, I was in this room uh, cleaning, uh, dipping these materials into this special liquid. But the place was a, was a disaster in terms of housekeeping. It was all, stuff was all over the place, hadn't been cleaned in a long time and I was uh, taken over from a Scottish guy who said he was you know he couldn't give up at the, the pace of it uh, but I just made you know, applied some common sense which is not so common anymore <laughs> um, it seems to be a sense that's in steep decline um, so cleaned the place up brought some order and suddenly people started to come in and say well god you're doing a great job and I was I mean I, I wasn't even half employed at that stage I thought I've loads loads of time in my hands I felt felt quite guilty about it, but they thought I'd done a wonderful job, put up some signs and cleaned this up and brought some order, you know, so there was no waiting anymore. And then they, then they asked me to come and ask me about my background, and uh, when they heard I was in the army, uh, you know, they became particularly interested, and then took me off to this management development area. And I was in there a few months, you know, learning about the different areas of manufacturing, and uh, there was uh, somebody fell over out in production running this line, he had a... Had, uh, had, taken ill and they looked for someone was someone please come out and help us run this line for a couple of weeks I went out and I was there for another year and a half 
you know, it was 35 women. In those days, women were in all those jobs, and then the men were offline earning more money, which was totally wrong. And uh, but a couple of those strong women took me under their wing and looked after me a bit, and until I learned, you know, some things, and uh, and I really loved it. And then I moved on to GM and into another uh, another area of manufacturing, which was planning. Uh, and later on, I moved into quality and. Uh, industrial engineering and so forth. So, and then I went back to Ireland. Uh, and um, did your progress uh, surprise you in any way? Yeah, I kept thinking, you know, why did I, why are they promoting me again? Because you know, I thought, Jesus, you know, one of these days they'll find me out. <laughs> so they haven't found me out yet. <laughs> Still waiting. So, what was the next step for you, Liam, after GM? Uh, I went to uh, Oralby in Newbridge, and they were a growing plant. There was about 250 people there, 300, and uh, there was a lot of new products coming in from around the world, um, and they wanted to to be the best. Was that an They're, exciting time? It was. It was, it was a great time, and, and Gillette were a great organisation to work for. And uh, the the general manager there was a, a dynamo of a man called Kevin Conroy, who was really growing the place rapidly. And you know, uh, he had some really innovative practices. Now he didn't take prisoners, and he could be very tough to deal with at times. But he and I got along great. And after uh, after a few years, uh, he uh, transferred to headquarters in San Francisco, and uh, I took over from him. And I was there, I think, two years, three years. And then the there was uh, we were merged with the with the Braun division also with Gillette, so we became Braun Oral-B, and then uh, I moved to Iowa City, uh, and I've, I've already taken you through that uh, episode of my life, then came back to Ireland for two years to take over what was then a campus, the Carlo plant, Braun plant, the Newbridge plant, and the, the Oral-B plant in the south of China in the city called Chennai. That was a big undertaking. Well, yeah, but I was, I was, I knew what I was doing by then, uh, and I knew how to, you know, how to make factories really good. And we made those three factories great. But then the, we were acquired by Procter and Gamble. So what year was that? Then that was two thousand and five. Okay. So and uh, the, I was in in two thousand and seven. Uh, I went to China. Uh, and I've, I've talked a bit about that. And in 2009, uh, I decided, you know, I've spent a lot of years on multinational land. There's a new culture w- which is coming from PNG. I didn't particularly like it. I thought it was a bit over-controlling. And uh, a lot of the responsibilities in the factories were reporting into regional headquarters. And I thought that was diminishing the the the, um, the opportunity in the factories, you know, to, it was slowing things down. And decision-making was taking too long. So I, 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 I left. I retired and set up my own consultancy company. And I had a, a base in Shanghai for a time and a base in Dublin. And uh, so I worked with clients in all over Europe, really, and in China. And in the north of China, in a city called Jinan, uh, I was where I was. My one of my biggest client was Festo, which is a, the the German um, uh, automation company, a terrific uh, organization. And they had acquired a huge plant from a state-owned Chinese company, but it was a mess. And they were they were very concerned about it because they were transferring in a lot of their higher-level products in there. And I met uh, the head of operations was a uh, was a French guy called Yannick Shelley. Uh, but so so to cut a long story short, here in in two years we made it a great plant, and in three years it was the best performing plant in the festival uh, global organization. And it went from the worst performing to the best in three years. So he then he later moved to the USA 
to uh, to transfer the festival operation from New York down to a greenfield site in, in Mason, Ohio, which is about 25 miles outside Cincinnati. Uh, so I worked, we, my team worked with him on that. Uh, we met every deadline, made it a great site. And then he decided that he didn't want to move anymore. His wife was getting, was very settled with her two children in, in Cincinnati. And uh, he founded Altex uh, Consulting. Uh, with the headquarters in Mason, Ohio. And he asked me to get involved. And initially I said, well, I didn't really, because I'm, I'm not in the first flush of youth uh, at this stage of my life. Uh, and I didn't want to get too heavily involved. But I said I would help him informally, you know, bring on some projects and get off the ground. So I did that and I enjoyed it. And then he said, well, why don't I buy LCL, which is my you know, leading chain through lean, which is my company. And I'm thinking, well, I was winding it down anyway. I said, well, you know, I don't have... I've got books, I've got videos, I've got... He says, but you have resources. I have. I want you, and I want your team. Uh, so, so we, we sold. We done a deal, and uh, I sold it to them. And uh, now I'm a partner with them, uh, still, still turning factories around and supply chains. And of course, you can't have a great factory without great supply chains and without great suppliers. So there's much more to a factory than than what meets the eye. And I, I mean, I, I say to young people a lot. Uh, you know, if you're looking for a career choice, think about manufacturing, particularly for multinationals. The opportunities are endless. Uh, there, there's, there's no limit to the career options that you, that you, that you can have with them. Liam, you've earned yourself the, 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 the nickname of the serial factory fixture. How does that sit with you? I've earned a few nicknames in my life. Uh, well, uh, everybody gets good at something. Uh, there's loads of things I can do. My wife would tell you that I, I can't hang a picture straight. And, 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 and my, my three daughters would confirm that too. But I know how to fix factories. And uh, I know how to make them good. And I think that... Uh, that it's a disaster when a factory closes for the community. You know, think about it. A hundred people, two hundred people, three hundred people suddenly out of jobs. If there are no jobs around, uh, you know, where you know, what's going to happen? The, the town will die. You know, where that that part of the city will will crumble. You know, and everywhere you go in Ireland, in Letterkenny, you will see the shells of factories, Bunkrana, across you know, Galway, Mayo, Limerick, Kerry. How frustrating is that for you? I think it's sad. You know, I don't get frustrated about it uh, so much, Kieran. I think it's sad. And when I see a factory in decline, uh, and I know the reasons, I know that that can be salvaged because the plant manager doesn't know what he's doing, or some of his, he's, he's, uh, it's, it's amazing how many organizations will carry people who, who don't perform well at the senior level. And to me, uh, does that frustrate uh, you? Yeah, that does frustrate. That's what makes me angry. The job of leadership is to, for the greater good, to, to try to, do, do the best they can for their business so that it will grow and be there for the next generations. There's a moral imperative there. And uh, the, the, I can't tell you, I couldn't tell you how many places I've been to where there are senior people who should not be sitting where they're sitting. And, and uh, the organisation do not do enough about that. Liam, tell me, how did you find the experience of, of writing this book? I found uh, I found that I was beginning I was re- remembering things that I had long forgotten that details going right back to my army days started to reemerge and from my days in London and from my days here and there stories that were you know things that were long forgotten incidents that were long forgotten um, so it, I think it was, I found it really good it dusted out a lot of cobwebs from my from my memory uh, my memory cells.
Lee, what is the best lesson that you've learned in your many years in business? Um, I've learned that opportunity. You know, when I say the young, it can be very tough for young people. You know, these days, uh, there's a lot of options, and maybe there aren't so many options. Uh, there's pressures that that we, my generation, didn't have to endure. You know, through social media and, and so forth. Um, if it doesn't work out. You know, in in secondary school or in college, don't get worried. There's still loads of time uh, time for things to work out for you. And one of the the, 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 the encouraging things is that is the reemergence of, of of apprenticeships. Apprenticeships is a, a wonderful route for young people to go to. Not everyone is cut out for the academic life or cut out for college, but apprenticeships. For example, um, in Germany, I, I, there are several hundred recognised apprenticeships in Germany, and people are highly respected. You know, when they when they when when they're qualified, and one of them, all of the engineers over there would come through the apprenticeship route. You know, I remember um, uh, this uh, VP from Germany one time being been appalled by the fact that um, our engineers were were four year academic engineers and they never worked on the factory floor and it, to them that was incomprehensible how could they have any credibility and in reality it took it took about two years work you know with a coach before we could get anything meaningful out of them so uh, then that, that began to change when the University of Limerick um, farmed out their student uh, engineering students in their third year and that helped but to me the best manufacturing engineers are always the people who come through the apprenticeship routes. They're the people who, who have the credibility on the shop floor. They know how to fix things. They know how not to spend, you know, $100,000 and maybe spend 500 you know, by going over and, you know, and, and just using their experience. Is there a person in business, Liam, that you admire most? There wouldn't be national figures, Kieran. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd have to think about that one a bit. I've acknowledged some people in my book that I've worked with directly or indirectly, uh, and I do admire them uh, a lot. And um, what sort of a reaction have you had to the book, Liam? Uh, pretty good, you know. Um, I was a bit, a bit uh, nervous about it. Naturally, you know, you're you're bearing your soul and you're putting it out there. But I've had a pretty good reaction, and I've had lots of calls and lots of mails, you know. And and, and I'm I'm afraid I might get I might be getting too busy again. <laughs> Tell me, just going back to your school days again, had you any idea when you were a young boy growing up in Kilmacrenan uh, of what you wanted to do or what you would like to do? Yeah, they're just army life, really. Uh, that's from. I remember uh, letter. I remember the days when letter Kenny had a two-bedroom, sorry, a two-room library, and I was taking four books out a week and reading them all. And it was all about travel and adventure. Uh, you know, I went up and down the Amazon when I was 13 years of age um, and d- dreamed about it and I, I never made it to the Amazon I made it to Brazil but I never made it to the Amazon and um, so uh, it was just and I was in the FC when I was 14 uh, I was a good shot and I was on shooting teams um, and I just dreamt about getting away you know travelling and that, that excitement and I remember saying to uh, my commanding officer when I was leaving he was asking me you know, why the hell was I leaving you know, to, for an uncertain future he said you've got a good life here I said well if you can guarantee that I would be I'd be two years of every three years abroad I will stay you know I'll sign on and he couldn't guarantee that as it happened 
for the next 20 years they were in and, in and out of Lebanon and they could never get enough a lot of the time they couldn't get enough volunteers so you could have gone there and stayed there or, or you know, been multiple trips like some of my friends who did stay where so um, uh, but you know there's no point in regretting things because it's happened you can't change things um, I have highlighted the good and the bad in the book I mean, uh, the one thing that does, you asked me earlier, when you know, what frustrates me is poor leadership. And I've seen an abundance of that in my lifetime. And that, um, I didn't pull any punches in my book and in, 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 in highlighting that. Because uh, to me, if you get paid a big salary and all the, all the things that go with it, you better deliver. You have a responsibility to your workforce, a responsibility to the people who clean your toilets and cook your food, you know, who, who clean the machines and produce the product. You have, a, you have a responsibility to offer them the best opportunities that your organization can offer them. Tell me one question I want to ask you. What's your view of, of Donegal and its economy and how you see its future in the business world? Well, I, I tried and failed uh, on two occasions to, to bring a fact, to help bring a factory to Donegal, and you know, I had some contacts in the IDA some years back, and, uh, and with organisations that I was talking to, uh, and that, I was disappointed about that. Uh, but you know, one of the, for example, in Kilmacrennan, we have a thriving factory in Northwest Aluminium, and you know, when Cal Gallagher was a young, a young, a young lad, he went off to Canada for a good few years and came back with a, with a, with a bit of a dream, and he came back with him with one machine that he had used over there in his garage and he came back to Ireland and set it up and he created a couple of patents and got them into a shop and you have uh, I, I think there must be employing 150 people between Kilmacrennan and Terman now and that's a great example of, 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 of a young guy when people were investing back then safely in property and pubs uh, but he took a, a chance and went into manufacturing, and you know, you know, you know now his son is uh, is running that operation, uh, and I think a second son is, is 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 over in the UK running their operation over there. I think that's wonderful. You know, create employment, real employment, uh, where 100 and, 150 people are are, are living in around Kilmacrennan. Uh, and in Terman with, with, with decent jobs and a decent future rather than having, having to move to Dublin or take the boat yeah. or, 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 or move to some other city abroad. So uh, there is uh, activity in Donegal that I haven't seen before. There's, there's a bit more manufacturing and there's a vibrancy about the place and young people have options and that's terrific. That's terrific. And if we could get the infrastructure, you know, uh, improved, uh, maybe we, more manufacturing can be attracted here. And finally, Liam, what lies ahead for yourself and the world of business that you've spent all your life in? Um, a lot of a lot of the people that I would have um, worked with are, are spend a lot of time on the golf course now, and I, did, I took up golf three years ago uh, and played badly. But it's you know you know I do enjoy it, and I I, I like doing other things, hobbies too, and spending you know more time with family. Uh, but I'm not ready to give up working. I, I I'm a bit like. The, the, the trout for the mayfly you know it's, it's hard to resist a, a challenge when it comes along so uh, I'm, I intend to be um, uh, you know I'm up at 5am I can't sleep in the morning and my chains wouldn't keep me in bed so I have to you can't play golf for a walk or ride a bike all the time Liam Castley author of Make Your Factory Great and Keep It That Way thanks for taking the time today to talk to us on Business Matters thanks Kieran. it was my pleasure and that was a playback of my interview with Liam Cassidy that was first aired back in May 
Thanks to Kenneth Wilson for his help on sound and thanks to you for listening. On behalf of the Business Matters team, we wish you a healthy, happy and peaceful New Year. And remember, if you'd like to get in touch with the programme, drop an email to businessmatters at heidelradio.com. Business Matters, in association with the ATU Donegal Faculty of Business. If you're looking to reinforce your leadership skills, ATU are offering Level 9 Executive Masters in Leadership and Innovation for private and public sector managers, starting in January. Take the next step in your career and call 9186206 or email donald.hannigan at atu.ie.